Welcome to Threads of Enlightenment, your journey into personal growth. The splendor of any decision is after you've made it, all that remains to be seen are its consequences. My name is Ken Primus. I am your host. Here at Threads of Enlightenment, we talk about the principles of self-development and personal growth. By having conversation with people, who have walked through their journey of personal growth. We believe that everyone at some point in their life will have to deal with one or more of these principles to have the privilege of focusing on their self-development as humans. These principles, when applied, can help you to become the best self possible. Welcome to Threads of Enlightenment, and it is my honor and pleasure to welcome our guests. As always, I know that once they present, they are bringing several things that are very precious. First of all, their time. It is a precious commodity by which we are able to move within this space called life. And I truly thank you for the time and for your gift of your time. Second, I want to thank you for your journey because you are now trusting us with your information, your pain, your uh, sacrifices, your triumphs. And it is my hope that I create a space by which you feel comfortable and home. Madison, thank you for coming to Threads of Enlightenment. I deeply appreciate your presence. I deeply appreciate being here. Thank you so much. Tell the people a little about yourself. The things that you have created that you have given birth as a result of your journey. Ah, uh, well, um, I am a practitioner of Ayurvedic medicine. I have a clinic here in Austin, Texas that I um, see people in various capacities uh, through women's health, through nutrition, herbology, panchakarma, detoxification, childbirth, all sorts of different things. Um, I, I've practiced and studied yoga for over a decade, not yoga as an asana practice, but as a spiritual practice, and that infuses everything that I do. Um, and I am a sustainability advocate. I, I spend a lot of my time right now working in the realm of environmental sustainability and education. And from my perspective, health and the environment are two sides of the same coin. What keeps us healthy, also keeps the earth healthy, and um, we are made from the elements of nature. And um, so I feel a duty to to help um, us all remi- remember um, that we are nature and um, vice versa. That is uh, awesome. And I, I love the fact that you mentioned uh, to help us remember that we are from nature. And it is absolutely true because this house that we are in, the material that is made from it, they, they find all of that within nature. And so it is, um, I love how you place that. So what we do here at uh, Threads is to go back. We want to, I call it the lab, Madison, whereby, but people call it family. In this lab, we have these scientists that are called our parents, and they are just putting this wonderful, uh, uh, thesis that they have acquired from their college days with their mom and dad and grandfathers and all their friends and all that stuff. They're just putting this together to begin to impart their wisdom and even some of their, I would say, some of their uh, things that they did not learn that they needed to release and sometimes it manifests in their life in all different forms. Talk to us about your family. What was your lab like? Ah, my lab was fascinating, as is everyone else's. <laughs> uh, I grew up with um, a mother and a father um, who mm-hmm. were divorced when I was four years old. Um, my father is uh, from the Midwest. My family's from the Midwest, both of them, from mm-hmm. Detroit, Michigan, and Cleveland, Ohio. Nice. And um, my mother was a incredibly intuitive um deeply, I want to say, we're all spiritual, but deeply aware mm-hmm. of her spirituality. 
yes. and had a lot of trauma growing up in her mm-hmm. family. She grew up with an alcoholic father, a um, emotionally constrained mother, the oldest girl of seven siblings and physically wow. and emotionally abused by some of her siblings. And um, so she grew up with a deep anger towards what I these days call the masculine energy mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. And she would call it men, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and she, but she was, she was fiery and charismatic, but, you know, tough, <laughs> tough yeah, to maintain yeah. relationship with. Mm-hmm. And, um, I grew up mostly with her and my mm-hmm. father I saw on the weekends and he's a very good hearted man, um, struggled yeah. with communication. And, um, I, when I was young, I, I was an insomniac by the time I was nine. I wow. was, I had, you know, took Tylenol PM to go to sleep and um, had all sorts old? of nine years old. I had all sorts of seemingly unrelated health issues that nobody mm-hmm. knew what to do with. Um, and, you know, as an adult, as I went through my healing journey, I came to recognize the interconnection between my physical, mental, emotional, and environmental realm that I yeah. experienced both inside of me and around me. Um, and I, when I was 16 years old, I, um, I ran away from home. I was a teenage mm-hmm. runaway. And, um, my mother told me that she was a prostitute when I mm-hmm. was 11 years old. Um, she had, uh, turned to this type of work as a single mother. Um, and as an adult, I have a much more depthful understanding of it than I did yeah. as a, as a teenager. Um, and did all sorts of other odd jobs. We grew up, I grew up on food stamps and, um, all sorts of different types of support and, um, poverty. And, um, but also my mother gave me tremendous opportunity and inspiration. She always, she always tried to see and utilize the gifts that she saw Mm -hmm. in me. And so, um, she always found a way to, find opportunity that was beyond our social economic class, right? So I would often go to school outside of my the district that we lived in and I would get scholarships to this, that and the other thing. And I got a went to an art school that I was a dance major in and had all sorts of amazing opportunities and experiences in my life um, because she prioritized that. Um, Mm -hmm. So my lab was a was a fascinating one. It was a beautiful one. Um, was a challenging one. Yeah. yeah. So how um, being a part of a divorced family? Because I know um, my when I was going through my di- divorce, I made it a priority to walk with my children. I held their hands and talked with them to explain what was happening because I I had some understanding that I didn't want them to. Um, internalize a decision that was made between their mom and I. And so I spent much, I invested much to make sure that that was not the case. How did that uh, movement of your family, the security of your family, I know you were young, how did that impact you when you were mingling with both of these different personalities on their different um Areas because when you're together, you behave different, but when you're separated and you're living separately, there's different energies. How did you manage being um, uh, at one and the other as time goes on? That's a good question. Um, you know, when I was young, I felt like it was pretty fluid. Right. I just, it mm-hmm. was just the reality. It was just what I did. Yes. I went to my dad's on the weekends and I was with my mom during the week. And, um, as time went on, I realized that I had digested many of their opinions of one another, that mm-hmm. I had absorbed, you know, those feelings, um, yeah. those uh, energetics. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, you know, my mother would complain about my father's communication skills or his emotional availability or his, you know, blah, blah, blah. And my father would stay largely silent, but I feel his, um, his distraught quality when it came to my, the relationship with my mother. And, and so I, I felt the, um, I felt the disconnect. And so it felt like two different worlds that I was in. And, 
um, I developed asthma, which mm-hmm. uh, interestingly is very um, connected to um, children that experience divorced families. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there were several other things, but I, I felt a, I enjoyed being with my dad on the weekends and um, I would often come home sick and my mother would blame it on him <laughs> that he wasn't <laughs> feeding me right or something or another. Right. So the divisiveness um, between two parents, um, which yeah. I understand now as an adult is very common, you know, yes. for children yeah. to experience. Um, and, but I will say that I, I remember when I was in elementary school, there was a club for children who had experienced divorced parents and they mm-hmm. wanted me to go. And I, re- I, I rejected the invitation because yeah. I said, my parents are best friends. I don't need, there's nothing wrong with me. I don't need to do that. <laughs> right? And um, that was far from the truth. And of course they yeah. did a wonderful, they yeah. did their best to try mm-hmm. to create an inclusive environment, loving environment yeah. and all of that. Um, but you know, my, my father had a, had a, quadruple bypass when he was 38 years old that he wow. attributes to the stress that he experienced <laughs> in marriage. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. I shouldn't be, but I think it's funny. Um, let me walk with you a little as to what was the incident that caused you to um, run away, to leave? Um and go on your own. What was that? How did it affect you um, to the point where it would it drove you to go on your own? What entered in? What situation had that ushered in that, that aspect of your decision process? Well, as I became a teenager in my home, which was largely with my mother at this time, yeah. um, things grew increasingly more volatile between us. Um, she was very, uh, from a psychological perspective, which is not how I would define her, but from a psychological perspective, she was what we would call borderline personality. And as I became mm-hmm. more autonomous and more, um, you know, I'd question things, I'd talk back, I, I um, yeah. had more spunk and, you know, all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, things became increasingly volatile between us. Yeah. And um, I had my first boyfriend when I was 16. Mm-hmm. and. Um, that was welcome on the surface, but deep down is very threatening um, yeah. to to her. And yeah. um, and so I found myself running away sometimes, but I'd come back. And then I found myself looking over the edge of the balcony. Hmm. We lived in an apartment building, and um, I became more and more afraid of my own self, my own emotions, my own turbulence, um, yeah. my own instability, and afraid of the violence that I experienced, the emotional violence that I experienced in my home um, and in myself. And I hit a breaking point. We got in, I don't even remember what it was, but we got in some fight and I hit a breaking point that I I was afraid of coming home um, because of that intensity of that emotional violence that I felt. Mm -hmm. And and so at the time, as an emotionally volatile 16-year-old who Mm -hmm. didn't feel like I had anywhere to go, I felt like my mother, my relationship with my mother was really all I had, um, other than I had a boyfriend at the time, um, I decided that I was going to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. And so I I wrote a a suicide note and I left Mm -hmm. it at my mother's apartment and Mm -hmm. I drove and I went to a convenience store that I was going to my plan, which was not very well thought out. It really was more of a call for help than it was a reality. Um, But as you know, at the time I, my plan was to go and get some pain, you know, a couple bottles of painkillers and take them. And um, then I called my boyfriend, Zach at the time, and I shared with him what I was going through. And um, they, my, my friend, Zach, went around the city and drove around until they found my car in Denver, Colorado. Mm. And um, they took me to his mother's house and they sat me down and they talked for a long time and called me down and they drove me down to my father's house about an hour and a half south in Colorado Springs. And um, a couple of days later, the police came after me as a because um, I had left a suicide note with their yeah. guns raised at my father's house and because um, there was a potential suicide victim inside the house. And yeah. um, and that was a huge 
that was a huge turning point in my life. Um, and in so many ways, it, mm-hmm. it started a completely different, um, path for me and exploration for me. And, um, I went to, I went to therapy. I remember going to the police. I, I made a deal with the police at that time. Um, <laughs> because, you know, looking into it and understanding the cycle of violence and the cycle yeah. of youth, um, homelessness and, um, violence and things like that. I understand that that could have been a huge turning point for me. I could have ended up on the streets. I could have ended up, um, in all sorts of different scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and at the time I had a very, uh, candid conversation with police officers <laughs> mm-hmm. and I shared with them what I was going through and what I was doing and why. Yeah. And they, instead of taking me to the, what they call psychological evaluation, um, after this episode, um, which often leads to various other, um, yeah. steps in this cycle, they said, you know what? We're not going to do that, Madison, but we need you to promise us that you'll go to therapy by Monday. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, I will. I'll go to therapy mm-hmm. by Monday, I promise. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And, um, and that was, I would say that was the beginning of my journey that, you know, went on for, you know, still yeah. present today. Um, but that was a big turning point for me. Yeah, I tell, um, thank you for sharing. I tell people, Madison, that life is a series of agreements that we make with ourselves. Um, you were in your situation and you made an agreement. And once we make our agreement, and I call it the statement of faith. And the reason why I say that is because we believe it more than anything else. The outside world doesn't believe it because we made that statement and we believed it so much that we will implement the corresponding actions to make it come to pain. And you see that with your decision that you made. But then when you got into that space and you made the promise to the police officers, tell me about that other agreement because you need something in order as you began to peel things away from the um, from the, the being the person to, to help guide you by asking the questions. And that's, uh, a, I call them guides. All they simply do is ask you questions that you are not aware of to ask yourself. And so when they begin to ask those questions, you begin to, it, it kind of, first of all, it will pull you into the current space that you're in. And then you begin to investigate as to, what emotion was that? Why did I do that? Because you've never thought about it. As you began to, as that person began to ask you those questions, first tell me of some of those things that you noticed that you had given permission to become monsters in your life. And then tell me about that agreement that you made from there to guide you through your, 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 um, development. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is at that time, obviously that was a very low, t- it- felt yeah. like a very dense, <laughs> mm-hmm. low time. Yeah. And I remember writing in my journal as this, you know, 16-year-old. Yeah. And I remember writing about how I, I didn't feel like I had any value to live, mm. right? And that I was just making everybody's life harder and more painful. Yeah. And um, mm. and so when you say, what were those monsters? That's the first thing that comes to mind, right? Is those yeah those thought barricades of yeah. uh, feeling valueless and um, like I was just creating more harm being alive. Yeah. Right. And so what I ended up doing is I ended up writing in my journal and I started to write a list of all the people that I wanted to say goodbye to. Mm-hmm. And I thought there was going to be a list of maybe five people, right. That, mm-hmm. you know, I would need to say goodbye to cause I, you know, I left kind of suicidal, but, those feelings that produced that action didn't go away yeah. because yes. you're right. So I, uh, I started to write this list and thinking it was going to be about five people. It went on and on and <laughs> on. And it ended up being like a three page list of all of these people that I cared wow. about and who cared mm-hmm. about me. Yeah. And I remember getting like kind of including that and looking at it and it just being so profound. Yeah. And, you know, now I understand that the sense or the feeling of isolation and loneliness is contributes uh, monumentally yeah. to, yeah. you know, the experiences and actions that we take in that way. And then conversely, the experience of connection is what makes us mm-hmm. feel 
safe and heard and, you know, yes. valued and things like that yeah. and connection with another person, but also connection to our own soul or connection to yeah. the divine. Right. Um, and, but that was, that was a profound experience, um, that really changed my trajectory. That is awesome and that you have the chance face to write that about. monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I think what it is, we, um, the opinion of people that we care about carry tremendous amount of weight and they can, and they usually do, um, um, attach to our emotions that will ignite, um, hurt, pain, uh, all kinds of other things that it can give birth to. And as we allow, because a lot of us are not aware of how unaware that we are. <laughs> and it's really interesting to see as you begin your journey, you realize most people are living in a state of unawareness and the power is really, it resides in a state of living in the awareness. Um, but as those emotional, um, began to, those emotional impact or bombs that are grenade that just being tossed all the time. And I, I tell people that they become strongholds in our life. And that's all I could think of it as like a, a fort that is so fortified that, um, we are able to protect it. And anyone comes close to that thing, we will shoot, kill, do whatever we can to protect. Um, but when we have someone that we have, that we have allowed into our camp, into that fortress, that will begin to ask us some questions and make us look at why do we have this wall this um, this high? Why is this here? That I think we began to dismantle some of those things. And it is a powerful tool that we utilize by putting those names of those persons because those names made you go inside and think as to why. And as you began to think, I believe you began to start awakening up things as, as your reasoning began to wake as you you're putting these pages of names and then that realization comes and say, wait a minute, there is more for me than those that are against me. And so you begin to change your perspective. What was that? What did you say to yourself at that space right there? Because that is a powerful place to be um, with all those pages. What was that uh, statement that you made when you realized what you realized? That... I was loved mm. and that I was capable of loving. That's powerful stuff right there. And as you begin to move, Madison, and you realize that you are uh, capable of loving, talk to me about your journey because it continues and it'll, it'll continue. And I tell people your journey, your, your awakening happens, but your journey is continuing. It is mm. until you die. The awakening happens and that awakes and brings us into the awareness. Uh, but then the journey continues. Um, talk to me as to, as you began to look at this young girl and how did you start to love her? Oh, what a journey, right? So many <laughs> layers. Yeah. It was, you know, I, years later, I, I described it as an onion peel, right? Each yeah. layer of the onion peels and there's another yeah. layer and then another layer. And as you get closer <laughs> to the center, it gets more like intense and yep. stinky and, you know, makes you cry <laughs> even more. Um, <laughs> so, um, it's you know, messy, but beautiful, I, isn't it? <laughs> messy, but beautiful. Yes. Um, so, you know, there's, there's many paths that I could go to answer that question, but um, one which relates to how I got here and what I do today is yeah. um, my health journey. So mm -hmm. I was—I mentioned that I—I I had all sorts of seeming related health issues that no really yeah. had to do with starting as a mm -hmm. young person. Those continued um, as a as a, a teenager. By the time I was about nineteen years so old, I was on about nine different pharmaceutical patients. Each uh -huh. one seemed to lead to another one that led to yeah. a side effect that led to another medication. And yeah. um, I, I was in college at that time. I was working with the disability service at my college and I felt like I was getting sicker and sicker. And I, I had pretty much resolved that I would not live to be 30, that I was dying. 
Oh. And um, and one day, uh, I my sister she got me a gift certificate to a craniosacral session. And I don't know if you know what craniosacral I've been, therapy yeah, is. I've been, I've been there. Um, yeah. And I had no idea what it was. <laughs> um, and so I went. I was this kind of sheepish 19-year-old walking into this therapist, you know, office. And yeah. um, I was in chronic pain. And I had all sorts of, you know, bizarre things that people usually, you know, don't think of until you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s year old. Yeah. You know, I'm feeling <laughs> all of this. And, um, I... <laughs> This woman does this session on me, and I was kind of expecting like a massage or something. And if you yeah. know craniosacral therapy, you <laughs> yeah. know that it's very subtle, um, mm-hmm. and so it didn't feel like anything was happening. Yeah. Right? And um, but she had hands up. Um, well, first first thing is that was very powerful. Is she was doing some inter mouth work with me, yeah. like working the jaw. Um, she had a glove on and she went right into my mouth and what a, <laughs> what a um, novel experience that was as a 19 year old. And, um, and I remember her saying, who in your life, um, has been suppressing your voice? Hmm. And I didn't know what to say or how to answer that question at the time, but it stimulated the awareness, the self-awareness that my voice had been suppressed, that I, yeah. not that somebody had done it to me, right? But that yeah. I had a, a suppressed voice yeah and that my expression was not candid was not authentic right mm-hmm. and so that was a years and years and years journey to figure out how to express myself and you know in <laughs> yoga how to open the fifth chakra right um and and so that was a beautiful journey on itself um and then the other thing that happened is she had her hands on my neck and you know wasn't doing anything but it felt mm-hmm. like she wasn't doing anything and all of a sudden i felt this surge something to my brain mm-hmm. and and sh- and I said whoa what was that <laughs> and she said sh- she was very you know soft spoken and she said oh that was your cerebral spinal fluid entering your mm-hmm. brain correctly it, it's been um, constricted for a really long time and I was like wow that was interesting <laughs> and so then I remember driving home that day and it was almost as if the world had more color like wow. It just, yeah. it had more color, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I got home and I remember looking down at my pharmacopoeia of pharmaceutical drugs that were on yeah. my <laughs> countertop. And, and I just had this aha moment that was like, okay, Madison, it's time for you to take responsibility for your health. Mm-hmm. And that was a big moment. I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, that yeah. was a big moment. Because until that time, I had been relying on yes. doctors, on parents, mm-hmm. on da da da, to you know tell me what was wrong with me and how to yeah. deal with it, right? Yeah. And and so I was like, okay, the first thing I want to do is I want to get off of all these drugs. Mm-hmm. And so I started going to doctors and asking them if they could help me, and I didn't get a whole lot of support. And so I started just doing it myself. <laughs> started yeah. to figure out how to do it myself, and it was yeah. very hard. Some of them were very hard. Um, yeah. And um, and and then the next thing I wanted to do is I I decided that I wanted to change my diet mm-hmm. um, because I I felt like my diet that food was yeah. potentially medicine, and I wanted to use it. Yeah. And so I started to learn about food. Mm-hmm. And that took me on a phenomenal <laughs> journey um, yeah. because who knew what a um, just charged and primal and spiritual thing food is in all yeah. of our lives. And yeah. um, so I learned about agriculture and farming and nutrition and um and then got into yoga and that eventually led me to Ayurveda and eventually mm-hmm. led me to a yogi, um, yeah. in which I uh, spent about 10 years studying very closely with. And, um, that flipped my life upside down in so many different ways. <laughs> and, um, and that led me to Ayurveda and I studied Ayurvedic medicine and through yoga and Ayurveda, I was mm-hmm. able to heal all of these yeah. seemingly un healable conditions that I was told that I was going to be on medication for, for the rest of my life. Um, and, and then through that journey, it was so inspiring and so empowering that, um, I was able to remember Mm -hmm. part of who I was. Wow. And that 
was that it's funny you ask about the early days, the lab, right? Um, yeah. When I was about five, six years old, I knew that I was a healer. Mm-hmm. I knew that I had a special power in it. Yeah. And I used to, at family reunions, I used to line up my family and they'd <laughs> sign up for sessions and <laughs> I'd line up my family and each one of them would come in and I'd give them a healing session. And I could tell, I didn't know how I could tell, but I knew exactly where they were hurting. I knew exactly how to touch them to help their pain subside and things like that. But I had forgotten Mm -hmm. that about myself. Not that I had totally forgotten it, but I had, I had uh, pushed it aside. Put it aside. In order to be good in school Mm -hmm. and to, you know, go to college and fit into kind of the normal American style. And, um, (laughs) so the journey of my own, he actually reminded me of a gift that I have and have always had, um, and inspired me to let that be a part of how I serve the world around me. I think it is why we go on the journey. I think everyone that comes, I believe we, we have an agreement. Um, people say the higher power, God, I in my religion I grew up is God. And so we have a spiritual agreement because there's a scripture that says, before you were in your mom's womb, I knew you. So that means that we were in existence before we hit the womb. So then we must have had an agreement, a spiritual agreement to come. And I believe we came with gifts, we came with all of these things. As when my sons were young, I would tell them, lay down and Picture you have multi-million dollars coming every minute. What would you do? And of course, they talk about the cars and all the other things. And I said, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Tell me, what would you do after you bought all the cars? And here are these little boys that start pinpointing things. And I am watching them today do the things. And my youngest is, is, is 35, uh, um, you know. And they were young men when we had this conversation. And there you were. I believe you all have it and you reconnected with it. But I mentioned to you, I started this conversation and I said, life is a series of agreements that we made. You made the agreement that you, after you came out from that experience, you said, wait a minute. And you look at all these meds and you say, there is another way. And I'm, and once you made that agreement, I absolutely believe in my four of four because that agreement was you and you alone and it is your belief system it is your spirit it is it comes with such power that uh confession that releasing of your work and you will do the corresponding action you will chase it because you want that thing more than anything else and people will look at you and want to know if you've lost your mind and i tell people all the time because they and I I can always pinpoint Madison when someone hasn't made that agreement, their life is spinning out of control and they're just drifting. And you said it. You took the initiative to begin to take control of your life. Before that, you were just you you surrendered it to other people. And we um the human experience, we surrender it to our nine to five. We surrender it to all of these different entities outside of ourselves, and we are afraid to take control of our life and take ownership of it. You took ownership on it of your life, and your entire life has changed to this day because you made one agreement that I will not, this is it, I'm finished with this, there must be a way. And that's what I tell people, find your agreement. It is only you that I can't find that for you. I cannot define your agreement, only you. But when you do, buckle up. And I keep telling him, you know, I said the spirit of the man or uh, the being, the spirit of the being is waiting for that information so that it can begin to make it happen. Because the creator, Madison, in us only appears when there's darkness and it's dying to come out and create because it wants to show you that you are greater than the sum of all of the medicine, of all of the doctors' input in their study, of all of all of these things, because the earth, our body, is in partnership with the earth. Your science that you're learning is in partnership 
And as you learn that, and you initiate it and uh, pair it with the body, combine it, it will heal that body because it, 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 it can't do anything else, but because it's from there. So here you are, you, this beautiful young girl is blossoming and she is, if they can see the smile on your face, man, I tell you, they would lose it. So you are, <laughs> you have gone on your journey, you've experienced some love about yourself, you're growing at this powerful woman, and you are, you had a chance to sit down uh, with uh, some of the Vedas, the teachers, as they say, and you began to learn, input, plant within yourself a beautiful garden, because out of all those conversations are seeds that are being deposited into you that will grow as you begin and need that particular uh, product from uh, that those conversations that you have. So talk to me as to when you got into the yoga and all these things, and these are, you're beginning to train your mind, you're training your spirit to deal with all of the circumstances life. Talk to me as to when you realize, you know, because we have these, um, these uh, days of visitation when we realize, holy cow, I'm, I'm here, you know, and we look back. Talk to me about one of those days when you sat down in, in your meditation or where it was that you had a flashback of that girl that was in pain and you're seeing where you're at and that joy that brings uh, that smile on your face that I'm looking at uh, as we're mm-hmm. talking. Well, for a while, I have two things that come to mind in that question. Firstly, um, every day for my entire childhood, up until I was about 20 years old, I would wake up and I would, I would despise my first swallow. Because I had a sore throat every time I swallowed. Uh, and I would wake up and be like, oh, I have to swallow. Oh, no. It hurts. <laughs> and um, I remember uh, later in my 20s and realizing that for several months or years, or whatever, that mm. I was waking up and I, 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 it didn't hurt to swallow. Yeah. And, and it just, something as so simple as that was, was so, um, it would just, was so amazing. Yeah. It was just like, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful for this body and this healing <laughs> journey that I've been on. Like, oh my gosh, it doesn't hurt to swallow. <laughs> like, what a funny thing, but it was, yeah. it just brought me so much gratitude. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing that comes to mind is through, um, through the years in my time studying yoga very intensively, um, I had a few what people sometimes refer to as kundalini experiences mm-hmm. or kundalini rise. Yeah. And I had a few experiences that were pretty profound like that. And, um, and those experiences while are very challenging to, um, express. Yeah. They, I would say to sum it up, they each share the experience of feeling a sense of oneness mm-hmm. and deep, deep, deep gratitude for all of the experiences that had led me to that moment, all of the people that had been a part of it, mm-hmm. all of the natural world around, and reveling in a sense of beauty in all of that, in all of lightness, darkness, pain, pleasure, um, known, yeah. unknown, a, a real, like, physical sense of gratitude for the beauty of it all and um and that those experiences were were just i don't even know how to describe how pleasurable they were pleasurable on the most deeply cellular level and in the most profoundly broad energetic level um all at the same time and um and that the contrast between that joy and that pleasure and that small, painful, suicidal, fearful yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> girl that I experienced for so long. Um, not to say that that girl isn't still inside of me because she is, yeah. right? Yeah. She is still mm-hmm. a part of me. But the contrast between the ability to accept and experience the pleasure and beauty of it all 
was so mm-hmm. different that. Yeah. Um, so. Um, I have a theory, and I know sometimes people think I'm nuts, but I think the theory is this. I believe that <laughs> um, some of us can be trusted with the awakening. And um, because there are so many of us, there's 7 billion, I think, maybe a little more. There are a lot of people that are can't be trusted with the awakening. And the awakening is for a reason. Once we have gone through that, I mentioned on the onset that we know as we have gone through, we've peeled away the onions, we've gone into the center of this onion, onion after we, places were locked away tight that we were able to come through. We then develop these principles by which we govern our behavior. And even the way we speak, we came out of that journey with some stuff. And I believe that some people cannot be trusted, Madison, with the preciousness of that stuff. Because what is that stuff for? That stuff is for you and I now to turn around and to become servants to people. Our gift that we have gained, that young girl, that felt the power, the healing power in her hand. She was ministering, she was serving her family, touching, relieving pain, changing their energy as she begins to manipulate theirs and bring freedom. Not many people can be trusted in this. Some of them, I know many of them, have gone through ashrams and all this stuff, and they have taken the knowledge and hoard it to themselves or to their community and not able to deliver that meal to the individual to feed them. And uh, looking at you, I could see that uh, that girl that is within you, that little girl there, even the one that was hurt, she is desperate to go and grab another person and say, wait a minute, you don't have to die. You don't have to. Let me tell you my story. And I am so excited that you're here to tell this story because um, it is a precious one. And um, I am so proud of that girl that was hurt. And she is now this woman that is able to reach and grab another girl and say, let's walk. Let me talk to you for a minute. Let me encourage you. Let me tell you who you are. And um, as you are, you have learned and trained your mind and you've walked through medicine, how did you, um, and I know it, the progression is, but I want to hear you say, how did you navigate once you began to study the Arvedic piece and the yoga? How did you branch out and say, this is where I want to live from, meaning let me create a space disconnect from corporate America and all the other places that we associate ourselves and let me create now this business, this space by which I can be a servant. Talk to me as to how you process that and how you did it. You know, you might be surprised by my answer. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> I began my journey yoga from a very, I would say, judgmental place. Mm-hmm. of um, corporate America. I had a deep disdain for corporation, the way we conduct business and a fear of money and all of yeah. those things. Um, and through my journey, I have actually come to a, a sense of acceptance and compassion for all of the entities and why mm-hmm. they are here. Yeah. And I um I started, you know, I, I was very much pushed into um into starting a clinic uh, by my teacher. I was I was insecure and he said, No, 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 go start it, start it, start it, start it. And so we we <laughs> he pushed me outside of my comfort zone tremendously. And um we started our clinic um back in Calabasas, California, and then up in Northern California, and then I eventually hit a point that I needed to fly from the ashram, you know, for lack of a better yeah. word, then um, yeah. I needed to, it had become um, overly 
there were there was some elements that were not healthy within the um, confines of of the group dynamic, and so um, I needed to fly. And so about a, a year and a half ago, I actually left um, this space that had become, mm-hmm. you know, um, what was once tremendously healing and yeah. was a lifeline and was tr- incredibly transformative. Um, it became clear that it was time for me to even leave that. Yeah. And so um, I picked up in the middle of the night and I left and I didn't know where I was going. And mm-hmm. um, I ended up in Austin, Texas, um, in a land that I never thought I would be. I, I had I, I say that I've judged two places in my life and those were uh, Los Angeles and Texas. Um, mm-hmm. And I ended up living in both and being very humbled um, in both of them. And I ended up back uh, with my husband, my ex-husband, mm-hmm. who left the community before I did because he was yeah. um, ready and saw the dynamics and I wasn't ready to yet. And so I ended up here. And um, I, to answer your question, I, um, I am not, I'm, I'm not motivated by money. Mm-hmm. I'm, and yet I've had to learn to have appreciation for it. Yes. I'm motivated by a sense of purpose in my work and a sense mm-hmm. of servitude. And so that takes many things these days. Yeah. And um, I, when I left and I decided to kind of create a new chapter fairly recently, I decided to sit down and finally write. And I wrote a book. Mm-hmm. And I published a book last year called Mind Body Food. And um, and then I got to vision how outside of kind of the the support that was so supportive at one point, like Madison, push your push yourself outside of your comfort zone and here do yeah. this. Now I got to I have to be that for myself. Now. Yes. I have mm-hmm. to, I have to, again, um, you know, that 16 year old, that 19 year old, and then that 33 year old, mm-hmm. you know, the cycle comes back to that point. It's just at a different point on the spiral this time, right? Yes. And I mm-hmm. have to now create even more, um, self responsibility and yeah. creativity and, um, autonomy. But I don't mean autonomy in a way that we're, I'm alone, right? Autonomy in, the way yeah. that I am an, a, an autonomous being, um, making choices that mm-hmm. create my reality. And I find that I make choices from a place of service, from a place of mm-hmm. inspiration, then yeah. that has a very different path than when I make choices out of um, self-service or out yeah. of fear or XYZ, right? Um, so knowing that very clearly each moment in each day gives me that choice and gives me yes. that reflection back. You're sending out, um, it is two different types of vibration. Fear is a vibration. You can look at it, you can see, um, I studied sound waves and all of the different mm-hmm. things. And, and it's very fascinating to see the energy and the aurora that comes on the person when they're in fear versus uh, where they're relaxed. And I believe that it, Whatever energy we send out, we receive that back. And when you are in a space, as you stated, where you now have to be mindful of the type of energy that you release in every situation, that's why the the journey of self-development is a journey of awareness. You must be aware constantly or guard over everything. And it's really an interesting lifestyle because... You have to watch what you say. You have to be mindful of the energy that is around. You have to, all of these things you're taking in a split second decision. And because of your growth, you're absolutely aware of the split second uh, um, decision that needs to take place. And it's really a fascinating thing as you grow. And when you stepped away, you are now even digging deeper to see even more of who you are. And you're going to get to a space six months from now, a year from now, where you can look back. My God, I didn't know. And then you are, that's why I say the journey, Madison, is forever. The awakening just happened a few years ago in each and every one of us. But we move through the journey at each state. And we have to be mindful that when we live from this space now that we are in, 
we cannot live from a space of fear because that did not serve us well. But it can be a fearful place. <laughs> and it's really interesting. But you have to learn how to transfer and take care of, and I tell people that the thing that you have to be mindful and guard of is your imagination. It is the most powerful thing because the words comes from people and that creates the thought and the thought enters into the imagination. And once we begin to picture things, we allow fear to come in, we allow all of these negative things or the positive. So as we guard our imagination, because the imagination then will enter into the mind and the mind, the playground of the mind becomes a dance where unbelief and fearfulness and worry and all that stuff will go nuts. But if you allow in your mind and your vision, your imagination, you look and see what you want and you pull it, it must come. It is who we are. I am listening to you and I am, I, I cannot say how much I, I am so proud of you listening to your story. And I'm like, just losing it as to this woman that is in front of me. I am so proud of what you have accomplished. And I am so proud of what you are going to do because I can sense within you that there is much, much more that needs to come forth from you. Um, everyone that has been listening to Nelson and I, uh, get her books, buy those books, buy those. And I tell you all the time, my audience knows it, that when you purchase a book and you're reading that book, you are having a one-on-one conversation with the author. Get your cup of coffee or tea, sit down in your safe space, and have that author speak to you. And Madison has a lot to say. She found her voice, and she is speaking to you and calling you to have a conversation with her. Purchase her book and go sit down and have that conversation with her. Madison, thank you for coming to Threads of Enlightenment. This has been pleasurable. It has been beautiful. Thank you, Ken, for hosting and sharing such a honest and intimate and lovely conversation. Thank you. Everyone who's listening to this podcast, we hope to continually help you to learn how to embrace moments of darkness because it is in the darkness that we learn how to develop and use our abilities to truly see those parts of ourselves often invisible to us in the light. It becomes your responsibility to navigate through all of your trial to find out who you truly are and begin your journey to loving yourself, which is possibly one of the most difficult things you will ever do in your life. To love yourself and to find the real you, but always remember to enjoy the journey. Thank you for coming by. Please subscribe. And if you can support us financially, we deeply appreciate it. Until next time, Invite your family, friends, neighbors, anyone that you can. You can hear us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Overcast, and many more.